0: From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, You can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, back with you on another Monday here in Tallahassee, where we can officially say it, boys. We are going streaking, baby. Woo! We are going streaking. FSU gets their second straight win, their second overall win of the season up at Chapel Hill this last Saturday against UNC and officially heads into their bye week on a two-game winning streak with UMass on the horizon, a little revenge game right there. We're going to break down that game that Florida State played on Saturday and so much more in the world of sports. Uh, You know, a couple weeks ago, actually, it might have been last week, I came up here and said that it was the best sports week of the entire year with the the last remaining games of the regular season and and baseball and and, uh, college and NFL football going on. This one topped it. By far, this one topped it with everything that went on, including a, a, a fight. Late in, into Saturday night, I think it was being played in Vegas, Gabe. Right? Think so, yeah. Something like when you're, it has to uh, be. <laughs> yeah, when you're indecisive about where a fight was being held, <laughs> it's always best to just chalk it up. Oh, it was in Vegas. Yeah, MGM or one of those those arenas there. Uh, but before we get at all that, Gabe, I kind of I kind
1: of tipped you off there. Uh, joining me is my good friend and co-host Gabe Tisnes, as always. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Man, you you, you said it best. I mean, this was easily the best sports weekend in, in quite a while. I mean fight on saturday night just capped it off all the all the action in, in college football and and sunday as well i mean you start off with formula one it wasn't that great of a show but um it's always fun to watch that and then nfl i mean from from 9 a.m eastern time all the way till right. 11 p.m because of the, the lightning delays in the Chiefs bills game you had sports filled uh every day basically and and I, I tried to watch all I could, but I went to the beach on, on Saturday, so I missed a little bit, but I tried to catch up as much as I could as well.
0: Well, I'm I'm, I'm sure you, you enjoyed that beach time there as well. You know, I, I missed a little chunk of it too late su- Sunday night. <laughs> I missed the Rays playing in, in, in their game three, which we'll get to, but I missed it for a Harry Styles concert. I went with my lovely girlfriend. Uh, we went in uh, MLA Arena in Tampa, and it was wonderful. A, a charming performer that Harry Styles was. I'm raving reviews here from, from Luke Hazen. Uh also joining me on the panel tonight for the second straight week, Jackson Bakich. How you doing, bud? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. And if I was any more happy, I think I'd be dead. I think you let off with that last time, too. Well, we're, we're lucky to have you on the program. Uh, last week you were raving about the Kentucky Wildcats beating Florida. They come back with a huge victory against LSU. They kind of, they might send Coach O to the, the, the coaching pool there, uh, potentially. How do you feel about your cats?
2: All I can say is on, on U of K, I... I will stand by what i said last time they control their own destiny i'm really excited to see um how they can finish off their season um they're now all the way up to 11 in the ap poll which is really really cool to see after you know them being labeled a basketball school for so long maybe they'll turn that tide and they'll maybe they start i don't want to get ahead of myself but you know maybe <laughs> this is the start of kentucky football really making a name for itself as a contender um you know in the next decade
0: yeah well a a game next week that we might talk a little bit about that's going to go a long way in determining whether Kentucky can reach that next level there but also join the panel tonight making his return uh William Haynes how you doing bud?
3: Luke I am an emotional (laughs) wreck my beloved Tampa Bay Rays are facing elimination in a game just about to get underway with the Red Sox, things are not looking good. If the listener out there is interested in and in hearing a a man have uh, an emotional breakdown on live radio, you are tuned into the right station.
0: Yeah, you you're gonna get it tonight, one way or the other. Whichever way it goes for the Rays, uh, it's no secret, people. You know, I've talked about it before on my show. I'm openly a Rays fan. Uh, they are currently first pitches, literally coming up in just the next couple of seconds here, uh, game four against Boston. So unabashedly, if you hear something going on. Yelling, screaming, whatnot, fist pumps in the air that you can, you know, detectively hear. Uh, I don't apologize for it whatsoever. We're in a glass case of emotions here in an already pretty tight case uh, here in the studio, uh, William and I are. And I'm clutching to my chair arms just now thinking about our raise here. Well, we're lucky to have you on the program, William. And then as always, shout out to, to Scott Clemens in the booth on the ones and twos, making sure we sound our best even when we don't deserve to. And, and Sebastian, Angel Riano as well, helping out Scott there. Uh, but with all that being said, guys, Florida State, a week after we came on air and we said we were unsure about how this team was going to respond after a 33-30 to 30 narrow win uh, over Syracuse uh, to get their first win of the season, they come back go on the road to Chapel Hill, where they were at some point an 18-point underdog, and they get the outright win, and really, after the first quarter, it was never a contest. It was never close at all. Uh, Florida State beats North Carolina 35-25, to 25, uh, moving Florida State to 2-4 and four on the season. Uh, a two-game winning streak heading into their bye week now uh, is absolutely huge. Florida State gets down early in this game, 10 nothing. Uh, after the first quarter and you're you know that's kind of par for the course for Florida State this season Uh, but then after that it's really just a dominant showing from this Florida State team a 35 to 7 run in the middle quarters uh, and then you get to the fourth quarter where they have a a little cushiony lead Sam Howell makes a few plays and 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 tries to get them back in the ball game but really this one was after the first quarter was never in doubt the way that Florida State played. Uh, Gabe Florida State gets a huge win on the road. Uh, Let me just get your initial thoughts. How how did you think Florida State looked compared to last week and and weeks prior?
1: You know, here on the station, we're supposed to stay unbiased. But if there's ever a game that we're going to feel emotional about, it's it's this one. Because after what happened with Notre Dame, everyone was expecting a bowl game by the end of the season. And after four weeks of just chaos and pain, (laughs) I can't tell you enough how much that I enjoy watching that game. Because... It, throughout the whole four quarters Florida State played a good football game and obviously they started off with a 10-0 10 uh deficit but after that they bounced back and i mean just the way that the team looks right now it looks like they've grown it looks like they actually know what they're doing they they actually seem to be going in a direction now instead of just going afloat in the water which is something that I mean we thought the whole season was going to look like so for Mike Norvell happy birthday to him by the way 40 years there you go one of the youngest coaches in, in FBS as well as one of the youngest teams in in the ACC so they're improving they're they're heading in the right direction but at the same time we can't get too excited because the second half of the season it, it going to be some tough games but by that same token I mean there, there were games that we didn't expect they were going to be even com- 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 coming close now it's like okay they might be Miami, they might be NC State. Hopefully they, they can pull it off against UMass, but we'll get into that later.
0: Yeah, quick shout-out to Mike Norvell, too, showing up uh, against uh, Miami for FSU soccer, women's soccer yesterday. Yeah. They get the huge victory over Miami, and he's there after boarding a flight Saturday night and, and, and showing up there. So shout-out to Mike Norvell. Happy birthday to Mike Norvell. Uh, but, William, I'll go to you. We were talking about it in, in, in pre-show here. Uh, just the 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 performance by the offense and the game plan which they came out with and executed it had to have been impressive for, for you at least talking about it um in in the way they were able to execute what they wanted to do despite being down early and getting a couple punches
3: it was. The Knolls are 2-0, and in fact, since Norvell made that big speech after the Louisville game, and they've been able to back it up on the coaching side, at least on the offensive side. It looks like they took some things out of uh, some opponents that had previously beat. Uh, UNC, Georgia Tech, one of them, there was a lot of that mesh point uh, RPO stuff, uh, and they really knew where the weaknesses in this defense was. They knew how to push the right buttons, and uh, the best this offense has looked, maybe under Mike Norvell.
0: Yeah, and... and, and Flipping the switch there real quick for, for you, uh, I know you came away a little bit underwhelmed with the defensive performance and the way that, that you wanted them to go after Sam Howell, uh, especially after last week with, with uh, Garrett Schrader in Syracuse. Uh, just talk about that a little bit.
3: It seems like if, if it's a coaching thing, whatever the issue is, the defense starts behind the eight ball in every game. Whether it was the Louisville game, you knew that they were going to run pistol play action stuff, and they beat you with it deep on the first drive. Uh, you know, they're flat footed. And after you get beat on the ground uh, by Syracuse's Garrett Schrader, you've got to tighten up in practice. And UNC knew that was a weakness in Florida State's defense. And boy, did Sam Howell expose it running for 10 yards a carry, 100 yards on the ground.
1: Yeah,
0: looking like Jordan Travis there, almost, yeah. So a little bit more to be desired, uh, you know, previewing the the, the rest of the schedule down the stretch. But Jackson, I'll go to you. You were on the show last week, and we were breaking down that Syracuse game and and what we came away impressed with. And you actually brought up the North Carolina game from last year to sort of uh, compare those two in the way that last year's North Carolina game, when Florida State pulled off the upset here in Doak, uh, it seemed almost a little fluky, a little bit like fool's gold in the way that Florida State was able to make some splash plays early on and then kind of hold on for for dear life as, as North Carolina came surging back and, and try to make a late push only to drop a uh, – inconceivably dropping a ball there. That Two would, in a that row, have, yeah. That would have put them in, in, in a great position. Uh, this one, completely different. They get down early instead of going up early, and they come surging back – just physically dominated North Carolina team, especially their front seven. Uh, Talk about what you saw out of this performance against North Carolina compared to the couple that we had seen uh, Syracuse last week and and North Carolina last year and how far this team has come since then.
2: Well, first I want to piggyback off of what Gabe was saying. You know, we try to stay objective here, but just as a, you know, I think all of us here are Florida State fans, um, it was the most enjoyable Florida State game I have watched in a while. It, it felt as though it was the most complete game that Florida State has played since maybe 2017. It felt as though they controlled the entire game since taking that 14-10 lead in the second quarter, and receivers were winning one-on-ones. Secondary, the secondary kept blown coverages to a minimum, and the offensive line, yes, the offensive line controlled the line of scrimmage in one of the best performances that I've seen in them from a while in a while. Yeah, Especially on the ball. running side of the ball.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gabe, you talk about one of the best performances Florida State's put out there. Certainly, I think this is the best game that they can point to under Mike Norvell as just a complete, solid, good football win on the road. Uh, and it, there's no secret that coincides with Jordan Travis uh, playing possibly the best game we have seen him play uh, as a knoll here in Tallahassee. Uh, talk about his performance and, and what he, how comfortable he
1: looked compared to, to previous outings. I mean, the Knolls came in as 18-point underdogs on the road. Mike Novell got his first road game road win of the season, and and frankly, I mean, it has to come down to Jordan Travis's heroics. As much as we want to talk about the rest of the team, he led the way on the offensive side of the ball with over 100 yards on the ground only. I mean, he had five touchdowns combined, but throughout the whole game, he just seemed very composed. He seemed like he knew where to go with the ball, and he he never made any mistakes because. That's the thing with Jordan Travis, he plays so aggressively, he's bound to make a mistake at some point, but this game, he, he never threw the ball where it didn't need to be, and he always kept the Noles at a manageable third down, at least. Um, and obviously, the offensive line helped him out so much, I think that's where, what really made him comfortable as well. They, they didn't allow a single sack, and the Noles played pretty mistake-free football, and I think that's what we, we forgot about uh, with the Seminoles, is we were trying to figure out what's the magic formula winning when they were 0-4, but at the end of the day, Football is about making less mistakes than your opponent, and I think Florida State did that. And once again, 7 of, th- seven of 10 on third down. I mean, we, we were talking about how bad they were on, on the best, on the most important moments of the game, and they've been absolutely amazing ever since the second half of the Louisville game. They were 3 of 3 on the red zone as well. I mean, the defense is still a work in progress in that end because they, they allowed, I think, 7 of uh, something, 7 of 12, which is not great, but... The defense just stepped up when it needed to, and it wasn't necessarily a bend of break, bend bend but don't break. But I mean, the Jaron Jones interception. That that's something that that any Florida State fan looks at, and and they just they ask themselves, when was the last time a DB made a play on the ball and got an interception? I mean, it's been a while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that I think helps with that third down conversion and making Jordan Travis feel comfortable, William, uh, is the fact that Florida State, for maybe the first time all year look to be winning some one-on-one man coverage that they were played in, uh, the receivers helping Jordan Travis out a little bit.
3: They had some open receivers underneath allowed, and thankfully UNC had a lot of drop passes, but it did seem like when they tried to go to those intermediate or longer routes that they were able to to play some good man coverage. And uh, with the way this pass rush is playing, that's a really good combination.
0: Yeah, and, and Jackson, you know, for the second straight year for North Carolina, looking at the other side real quick, uh, dropping a game to, to Florida State, I mean, where do, where does North Carolina go from here? Do they fall into that category of, of of a Miami or someone else that we could see potentially like quitting on the season? Because Florida State was Florida State's in a worse position than them, and they still keep fighting. and I, And I'm just wondering, you know, when you compare the two teams and the way that they're, you know, is it simply expectations and what was expected out of these two teams, or why are we seeing a different level of, of physicality and energy being played with? Because I didn't see that out of North Carolina, did I?
2: Well, I think what's very common in a very young team like Florida State is that they like to play up to the competition. But they never play well when they're playing they also tend to play down as well. Um and I think with North Carolina, what are they? I believe they're three and three now. Three and three. So they're, they're couple
0: of bad, like that that was a blowout to Georgia Tech because mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean they hopefully they can rally together and, you know, play for a bowl game and, and be excited, maybe get into eight wins, but I don't know. I, I still think that Mac Brown. He's he's done so well with recruiting in the past few years. Um, I don't really know what their recruiting ranking is now. I know Florida State's number one for the ACC, but to be honest, I have no clue what it's inside that locker room at North Carolina. I I hope Mac Brown. I think he's a good coach, and I'd love to see them get to where they need to be. But I think – I was thinking about this earlier today before the show. I I think, especially, you know, talking about Coach Norvell's birthday today, I I think Coach Norvell is growing up just like the team is growing up, kind of like a a teen mom kind of grows up with the daughter. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a very similar situation there. So we'll see how that all transpires.
0: Yeah, and and Gabe, what (laughs) – you know, stringing a couple wins together like this and seeing the process pan out and, you know – accumulate results like Florida State has gotten. Uh, for a young team like this uh, in certain areas, uh, how big of a confidence boost is that as they head into the bye week and what what are you looking for for Florida State to do coming out of the bye week uh, to, to, to further along this, this development in the program?
1: Well some people might point out the bye week as something bad for them because you know growing, going into it with two wins in a row their momentum kinda slows down but I think it gives them a chance to refocus and say hey This is where we're at right now. This is not where we want it to be before the season, but after going 0-4, you have to look at it and be like, hey, you can be 3-4 if you beat UMass in homecoming week after our bye week. So you get a chance to heal up, to refocus, and then come out, win against UMass, and then just give it all you got for the rest of the season. And that's a way better outlook than, than than, than what they used to have two weeks ago. So for this young team to be coming around like this, it's very inspiring. I mean, Jordan Travis looks like he can actually come out next year and stay as a starting quarterback which is not something we were thinking a couple of weeks ago so for Mike and Ravel this is a great win this is a signature win actually in my opinion and and the rest of the team seems to be buying more and seems to be falling in line with as, as Luke is celebrating the the Rays getting some sort of play over there but yeah I mean it, it, it's just inspiring there's no other way around it and, and you can get too caught up in it but I think I mean there's no other way to say it. What you saw on Saturday is what you want to see out of this team every week. Yeah. And and for them to do it on the road, which is where they've been struggling the most, it, it tells you something about what what's been going around in the locker room these days.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know, they have the bye week this week and then obviously they come back against UMass in a, in a huge revenge game there. I I'm very tempted to to or uh, I'm very scared to pencil this as a win for Florida State because of what we know about the Jacksonville State game, but Assuming they can win that game, you look at the remainder of their schedule, William, do you personally feel like these games are a little bit more gettable uh, with Clemson and NC State, BC, Florida, uh, down the stretch there, Uh, or or are you still tempering expectations a little bit and looking for stuff other than, than how close the results are?
3: All of a sudden, at least to me, the door opens up uh, because any time if there's a game this season that Florida State can dominate up front like they did against UNC, they're going to have a lot of success. So uh, when you can get Jordan Travis throwing 13 passes and uh, the defense completely blowing, uh, you know, multiple deep throws, you're going to be set up in really good shape. So what we saw in, in this 35-point performance did not seem possible earlier in the year. It now seems possible, and uh, we're talking three, maybe four wins. We'll see.
0: Yeah, kinda kinda of wrapping up the, the North Carolina talk here is Florida State wins thirty five, twenty five. Jackson, was there was there a player or a play that, that stood out to you at least that kinda of turned the momentum towards Florida State or, or impacted it the greatest?
2: I definitely think it's that Jerry and Jones interception for sure. And especially the events that transpired after that interception. We go down down the field and we score a touchdown. Also another thing, we didn't kick any field goals that game, which was really, really cool to see. But <laughs> um, that Jerry and Jones interception not only was a momentum switch from a football standpoint, but also from a team rallying around Jerry Jones because he hasn't been playing as of, as great. I believe he's you know he's had some subpar performances as of late. But for him to get the interception had to have been a rallying point for the team as well, for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gabe, wrapping up the talk here for for Florida State at least. Uh, FSU versus bye week. Do
1: they come out on top? What's the spread? That's Florida really State matters. six. A little so, less than a touchdown. Yeah. They, they can cover. <laughs> no, but actually, I want to ask y'all. Yeah. Four and a half wins this season. What are you taking, over under? I'm still gonna take the under. Mm. Still gonna take
0: the under. Just just on surface, on on face value. Obviously, we're gonna know a little bit more about these 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 teams in NC State and Clemson and BC uh, a little bit further. I mean, Florida State has you you know a bye week in UMass, so I, I I think we're gonna have to wait to see where those other team seasons are at and whether they're in a a position like that. But I'm still going to temper expectations a little bit and go under. What about you, William?
3: I'm going to go under only because we have more proof uh, of them playing not so good than them playing good. Uh, there is obviously that potential that you could start the wave here and really catch some momentum. I think we can, we're we all in agreement that UMass is as close to a pencil to win as you're going to get this season. Um, NC State at home, that's going to be a tough game as well. The Miami game was one that I've always looked at because they've lost their quarterback. It seems like they've, they're already a bit checked out of the this, this season, and it's a rivalry game. Um, so I'm thinking maybe you get to four. And uh, th- that five is a little less likely to me.
0: Yeah, you kind of, and I'll get to you real quick, Jackson. But you know, Derek King obviously being out for the season is huge for Florida State's expectations in that game. But I, I think you kind of uh, punted on on assuming four, or, you know, f- that fifth win uh, that was kind of necessary if you want to go five and seven there. Uh, you forfeited that when you lost to Jacksonville State. That's so exactly you're, right. You know, so you're playing keep up from there on out, Jackson. What are your outlook for the rest of the season as Florida State heads into the bye week?
2: I mean, this is my prediction. I, I think. Florida State gets the win versus UMass, so uh, have us at three and four. I think we so we have Miami. I believe Miami is a pretty uh, not a sure win, but I think I think we beat Miami. Okay. I think it's a big game. I think the team will play to the, the best that it can do. I'm really excited for that game. Last home game of this year. I think we get one win out of the Clemson NC State Florida games. I think one I think we'll be five and six going into Florida. All right. So I I don't know if we're going to beat Florida. I I don't think we will. I hope we do, but um, five and six is what I'm thinking going into
0: Florida. All right. We shall see uh, as we kind of zoom out a little bit towards what was an absolutely crazy, aside from Florida State pulling off an upset of their own, uh, we probably had the biggest upset of the entire uh, season so far as Alabama goes down to Texas A&M and – loses on a last second field goal. Texas A and M really kind of worked Alabama not worked, but they held the lead for most of the game. They jumped out to a really early lead and kinda of held on for dear life as they went back and forth in that fourth quarter. But Jimbo gets his signature win that he promised the boosters before this season that he, he said we get we're gonna get their their butts in at home. And he makes he makes good on that. I believe it was thirty three to thirty was the final or 36-33. Uh, somewhere along those 4138 40 38. <laughs> oof yikes but um man listen that's what truly i mean that's a true marker of what has been a col- crazy college football season when you have alabama losing to unranked teams for the first time since i think 2000 whatever it's, it, it's
3: been 100
0: games it's it's been yeah. a ridiculous amount of games but texas a&m gets the win over alabama william and that kind of pushes alabama to a position that they haven't been in in a while, this early on in the season, they had a loss to uh, to Auburn a couple uh, years ago. They also had a loss to LSU a couple years ago, um, late in the season there. But we're about—I mean, we're midway through the season, and Alabama is looking at needing to run the table uh, if they want to get into the college football playoff. Am I wrong?
3: For the first time in a while, Alabama has found themselves on the outside looking in. I think the reality, at least to me. It was going to come down to the Georgia game and the SEC championship. I think even with this loss it's a a safe bet to say Alabama has the SEC West uh, pretty locked up so they go and and will likely play Georgia. And so whether it's going to ride on that game whether they lost uh, Saturday or not in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jackson looking at Alabama too despite them being the number one ranked team I've found a couple parts of it to be kind of underwhelming. Bryce Young has been sensational in, in my opinion. I think he's been a really, really good uh, quarterback for Alabama, but on the defensive end, they they came in, uh, you know, people around the Alabama program and, and national reporters to start the season were raving about this this newly restocked Alabama defense that after a COVID year came back full, uh, full spring, full fall practices, uh, they were supposed to be uh, kind of helping Bryce Young along the way as he found his way through this season. Uh, but they've done anything but that, giving up 41 to uh, you know, an A&M team that was really struggling to score uh, coming into this game. So uh, just let me get your opinion on, on what you've seen out of Alabama's defense. And what- I mean,
2: Bama's defense, I mean, historically has just been so good, and I think a lot of times we've put them on such a high pedestal. But 41 points to Texas A&M, that is obviously a subpar performance from Bama. But it's football. I I think days, you're just going to have bad days. And I I think, obviously, this doesn't impact him as much on defense because the crowd is quiet. But that crowd at at Kyle Field is one of the greatest in all of college sports. Um, I believe it was the second largest attendance in that stadium's history that night. So uh, kudos to the 12th man out in Aggieland. But like I said earlier, you're going to have bad nights. And I, I think that was just one of Alabama's bad nights. I expect them to get to the SEC championship as, uh, like William was saying, it's pretty locked in. I have no clue who's going to win that Bama-Georgia game. That might be the greatest game of the year. It might be a blowout. Who knows? But it'll be interesting for sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the second largest crowd for, for A&M. You know, a couple weeks ago when when and lost to Arkansas, take it, uh, you were looking at that Alabama-A&M game like, man, CBS – pushed all their chips to the table, they, they spent their eight, o, 8 o'clock prime time slot on a and Alabama, like, man, that is not looking too good right now. Well, all it did was deliver one of the best games uh, of the college football season there. Uh, but that about does it for the first half of uh, Tomahawk Talk here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more college football uh, and then get into the NFL Week 5 and MLB Divisional Series uh, recap so far. But for the first half, this has been Luke Hazen, and you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Uh, I'm your host, Luke Hazen, joined by Gabe, William, Jackson, talking Florida State football, their huge 35-25 win up at Chapel Hill, and a little bit of of, of upset talk with with Alabama going down uh, to A&M over the weekend. Uh, Rounding out what was kind of a crazy, you know, from I love when you get a awesome noon game, an awesome three thirty four o'clock game, and an awesome primetime game all in a row. It's a park-your-butt Saturday, to be sure, because at noon, you get the Red River uh, shootout. Oklahoma goes down 28-7 to against Texas. You kind of had a feeling that you know, Texas was going to get, or Oklahoma was going to get Texas' best shot 100%, uh, especially the way that Oklahoma had kind of been underwhelming. But Oklahoma gets down 28-7. They bench One of the preseason odds-on favorites to win the Heisman, Spencer Rattler. And they come roaring back. I think it's Casey Johnson, Casey Williams. Williams. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. The backup quarterback for Oklahoma comes roaring back. They end up winning it against Texas. Uh, That was kind of jarring, to be completely honest with you. They they had benched him before this season a little bit. Uh, I think against West Virginia they benched him. But... Is this the end of the Spencer Rattler hype train, William?
3: I think this could be a turning point for Oklahoma. As you mentioned, they struggled with some some lower-tier Big 12 opponents. I really thought this was the chance for Oklahoma to get knocked out. You're, you're playing a legitimate opponent that really wants the game for the first time this year. And if you notice the spark with this entire team when they went to Caleb Williams, I think they've really found something. And you talk about riding a wave. I, th- I think Oklahoma is going to be able to do just that.
0: Yeah, well, Gabe. You look at their schedule. They're they're undefeated right now, and coming off a huge victory against Texas, they end the season with Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. Do you do you see Oklahoma winning out? And if if they are, are they an absolute locker? or are they sort of in the mix with with Cincinnati and the rest of the undefeateds there?
1: I'm tempted to say yes because I think this might be the year. You know, with Alabama struggling a little bit, obviously with Texas A&M, Georgia, they look like the best team in the country right now. But who knows by the end of the season? When they have to play alabama how they will actually look um and oklahoma hasn't had the 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 greatest luck when it comes to the playoffs before getting in there a couple times and not really doing much i think lincoln riley's been waiting for this moment where he can actually take over and it might be it but oklahoma state at the end of the season
0: oklahoma state also undefeated right now you never
1: know 12th ranked i mean it's, it's just as big of a rivalry game as the the red river showdown so I wouldn't be surprised if that game ends up co- costing them not because they they lose but because they they play them and, and they don't perform as well. So, who knows?
0: Yeah, and Jackson on a more personal level, if you're Spencer Rattler, what's going through your mind right now after all this huge hype heading into the season and deservedly so, and coming out and underwhelming like that? Uh, especially, I don't know, in the day of the you know the transfer portal uh, of the NIL. Uh, are if you're Spencer Rattler, are you looking at other places at this point? Are you you hoping to stick it out at, and win your spot back?
2: Well, we've only seen Caleb Williams play in a yeah. huge game one time, right. so I think it's very easy—not very easy—but if I'm Spencer Rattler, I'm thinking number one, I need to play better, I need to perform better. That's that's number one. Number two is I've got well, everybody's played about seven games. I've got half a season to earn my spot back and show the entire team that I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's been hyped. I'm the preseason number one overall draft pick projected. So I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. I'm not looking at other schools just yet if I'm Spencer Rattler, but he definitely needs to start thinking that his preparation needs to be a lot better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we go from from the Red River shootout there and what was a really close game to another one up at Kinnick, one of the – honestly – One of the best atmospheres in all college football, in my opinion, very underrated for huge games like that. Uh, Number three Iowa, now number two in the in the rankings, against now number seven Penn State. They were number four heading into this one. Uh, Iowa gets down early to Penn State. Sean Clifford, the quarterback for Penn State, goes down with an injury, and Iowa comes roaring back. They win it twenty three to twenty, remaining undefeated. And you look at their schedule. We've seen this story before. We've seen it with Iowa. In a in a weaker uh, Big Ten West schedule, we've seen it with Wisconsin, where they've run the table all the way to the Big Ten Championship, and now Iowa, after this huge victory, uh, come from behind victory against Penn State, uh, looks to be on the inside track towards Indianapolis and and getting there, p- perhaps with an undefeated record and a spot in the playoff on the line. Uh, how much stock, like how much value, are you putting into Iowa right now, Gabe, uh, in their chances, or is this just another replay that we've seen where they get into the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State? After Ohio State beats Michigan and, and and beats the Big
1: Ten West opponent, I mean they control their own, their own destiny. Like we were talking about Oregon at the start of the season, and then they lost. So I mean it's up to them to 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 finish the this, this, the job out because if they lose one time, they're they're not gonna even come close to, to right. coming in. So as long as they win out, I think they'll, they're gonna have one of the best arguments for, for for coming in there. And I think with Oklahoma with with Iowa with. Cincinnati there's a lot of teams that are on the outside kind of looking in Um, they're not accustomed to being in this position so I'm really interested to see how they 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 react to being in this position now Um, but I mean with with Alabama and Georgia kind of looking into to to, to coming off at the the SEC you know title game at the end of season that might just end up outdoing one of those three teams
0: yeah we shall see and then last thing I wanted to get off my chest about college football a little bit. Uh, like I said in the opener, uh, when talking to Jackson, uh, Kentucky absolutely dismantles LSU, giving LSU I think their third loss on the season or fourth, uh, one or the other. They're, they're on they're on pace to, to for a losing record under Coach O. Uh, William and Jackson, real quickly. Uh, I think I'm I'm not making this up, right? Like two years ago, they were the national champions of college football, and now to see how far this program has fallen. Uh, is Coach O on his way out? Is this the last we will see of Coach O at LSU this year?
3: I think it would have to be. It, it's like LSU has defaulted towards their, their pre-Joe Burrow days. You know, they can't really move the football, not really explosive. They don't do anything particularly well. Um, so I, I think if anything, we're seeing that Joe Burrow and Joe Brady's season uh, was more of an outlier if anything else. And uh, They are in too uh, good of a, a talent recruiting pool in the state of Louisiana uh, to relinquish any more territory to Alabama. So if there's a move to be made, you got to make it quick
0: yeah absolutely I and I feel bad for coach O because I I, I do like him to, to some extent I guess <laughs> but Jackson it, it really does feel like just it was this huge confluence of events with Joe both Joe Brady and Joe Burrow getting there at the same exact time and linking up for just a special college football season uh, rather than uh, LSU really being a, a, a dominant program there uh, what 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 do you think went wrong at LSU
2: well, I think most people knew that the 2020 season for LSU was going to be a down year. They had a lot of um, players go out to the NFL. And I would also argue that 2021 this year is kind, of, is kind of like a year one for Coach O since the national championship. Like You can start evaluating Coach O since his national championship as, you know, where is this program going? So i like to see him come back next year to see really? what he can do. I do. Um, because we I, saw Coach think,
0: O before, think, before Joe Burrow too. Like we we like we I correct. feel like we've gotten a big enough sample size and, and a big enough trajectory that LSU is aiming towards to to say like, hey man, if we don't stop this pretty soon, especially with some of the off the field stuff they've had too, like we're gonna have to pull the trigger sometime on Coach O. I did, that's you know. I I
2: just think a national championship carries so much weight, and I know that Joe Burrow and Joe Brady they came together and they did something special, but. At the end of the day, those are still Coach O's wins. Coach O has to be the manager of those games. So I really think you start evaluating him next year. If they play bad next year, you definitely pull the trigger. You have him on a short leash. If it, short leash, excuse me. Um, you know, if they're two and two, two and three at the start of next season, that's when I'd pull the trigger. I just think a national championship carries that much weight.
3: Yeah. To me, if Coach O yeah. carried so much of the water in that national championship season, to me, why are they, why have they dropped off so steeply? You know, if he was a, had a hand in that offense being so explosive, why have they fallen so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, it it, it is night and day. Looking at the 2019 compared to not just after the fact, but before the fact when Coach O was there. It's, you know, when, when they were running Danny Etling out there as, as quarterback and, and struggling on offense. Uh, even the season before 2019 with Joe Brady. Joe Burrow was there. They put up a goose egg against Alabama. I, I, I can't help but feel like that, like that was consequential, losing Joe Brady like that. But we shall see. I I have uh, n- you know nervous feelings about how how long Coach O is going to last there, especially with Florida on the horizon, with Alabama still on the schedule, Ole Miss, Arkansas. Like they have a daunting task ahead of them if they want to you know scramble for a winning season. Uh, but we shall see down the line what LSU does there. Uh, moving into major league baseball talk a little bit uh of course my favorite sport a bunch of other people here at the stations uh least favorite sport but that's that beside us uh we talked a little bit at the very end of the show last week previewing the wild card games uh obviously red sox beat the yankees dodgers beat the cardinals but now we're halfway we're we're basically at the middle point of of the uh divisional series in both the national league and american league uh and Things kind of have kind of have not played out the way that we expected them to, uh, especially on the American League side of the bracket. Uh, really quickly though, NLDS Game Three between the Braves and Brewers got underway today. Uh, Braves pitch a shutout against a really struggling Milwaukee offense. William uh, Freddie Peralta, one of the, I mean one of the three aces that the Brewers were able to to wheel out there on a uh, given basis this year for the Brewers, he's pulled after just four innings of work, after uh, four shutout innings of work, uh, and then they immediately give up a three-run home run the next inning to Jock Peterson. Uh, Is this just recency bias, or, or do you feel like Craig Council should have had a bigger leash on one of his aces?
3: it's a tough call if you if you feel like that's the move to make if that's your team's identity you have to go for it we've seen this sometimes teams like the Brewers who have such a strong unit like they're pitching you get to october and all of a sudden it's not the same quite pitching you remember and then things can fall apart on you really quickly and they're, they're facing elimination on the road
0: yeah i think both both on the offense you know both on the offensive side and the the, the pitching side your mistakes get absolutely uh, their margin for error form would get absolutely minuscule, and that's what we're seeing on both sides with the Brewers. Uh, you know, obviously Corbin Burns has been awesome, Brandon Woodruff was awesome, Freddie Peralta was awesome, but when you couple that with the fact that their offense has scored zero runs in 49 of 51 innings, uh, dating back to, to uh, 2019 in the wild card game that they played, uh, their offense is is really really holding them back. I think Atlanta probably shuts the door on them tomorrow night. Uh, especially without the, any of their three aces on the mound. But um, moving on from that series to probably what was last night the game of the MLB postseason so far, ALDS Game 3. Obviously, we talked about it on air here as it's going on, uh, bottom of the third between uh, Tampa Bay and Boston. But Game 3 last night, recapping it a little bit, 6-4 to your final Christian Vasquez, the catcher for the Boston Red Sox, hits a walk-off two-run homer to give the Red Sox a 2-1 series lead over the 100-win, number 1 seeded Tampa Bay Rays in this series. But it's the play, the top inning, the half inning, before the walk-off home run that I think has everyone up in arms if you're in Tampa, uh, you know, shouting that that's just baseball if you're in Boston. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier with two outs in the top of the 13th comes up. Hits an absolute, not bomb, but but hits what, if it was a foot more, is a home run to give the Rays a two-run lead. Instead, it caroms off the wall, it hits off the right fielder, Hunter Renfro, bounces back into the bullpen for a ground roll double, and with a runner on first, Yandy Diaz for the Rays, he does not score from first, which he would have if it had just caromed and bounced off of Renfro anywhere else. Uh, instead... The Rays go down empty. They then get walked off in the latter part of the inning, and the Rays lose 6-4. to four. William, from a Rays fan's perspective, what was your initial reaction to that huge swing of momentum with that Kevin Kiermaier play out in right field?
3: It's an absolute heartbreaker. I understand by the letter of the law, that's a ground rule double, and the way these things typically go, this rule will most likely be changed in the offseason, the Hunter Renfro rule, if you will. But I think the bottom line, whichever side you come down on, if you're the Rays, why are you punished for a Boston Red Sox mistake? Because it was Hunter Renfro, the right fielder, misplaying the ball, which causes it to carry him out of play. And if it had stayed in play, Yanni Diaz at least would have scored. You probably would have had Kiermaier at third base and you go from there in extras.
2: Yeah, Jackson, let me get your reaction. And not only that, I believe Yanni Diaz didn't he attempt to steal on that same play?
3: There was a
0: Manny Margot steal a couple okay. innings prior. It was 3-2-2 it was two, two out, so Yandy was probably going on the run on the Yeah, the road was yeah. running on the play. Yeah, yeah.
2: and so I, I think the umpire's discretion, at the very least, he should be able to go home on that. that that's what bothers me as well. It's not only the rule, but um, the steal should predicate that the run should be able to score from second. That's what bothers me. He
3: was almost about to touch home plate when that ball went over the wall, which yeah. is infuriating. It, it's infuriating from a raised fan perspective,
0: but at the same time I can't get behind the idea of giving the umpires discretion in that situation because I know if I'm on the other side, if I'm a Boston Red Sox fan and that ball is played and is ruled the way that it's ruled and they go and ask the umpires... Subjectively, I mean, we know how these guys call balls and strikes at the plate. If you give them even more leeway to make a judgmental call on that, a subjective call on that, and it doesn't go your way, that opens up a whole can of worms even more so than MLB is having to come out and explain right now. I think I hate it. I hate it. I hate the position that it puts the Rays in. But that, like, that's just one of those quirks that those stupid rules that, that you see in, in postseason baseball that get.
2: Magnified. Ma-
0: they get magnified by the fact that the Rays are even in this position, because that brings you to the point that the Rays' offense, which was number one in, ma- in major leagues all season long, has really underwhelmed since the first inning of Game Two, uh, when when Jordan Luplo, for them hit a grand slam. Uh, they're they're one of three of their top hitters: Nelson Cruz, Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, I mentioned this when we were talking about the game before. They're combined. I think 4 for 39 in this series with 17 strikeouts. That is not going to fly from some of your best hitters. So William, I ask you, in this game that we're watching right now, uh, what are you looking at to see if the, if the Rays can shift momentum, if they can get this win uh, and head back to the trot for Game 5?
3: Got to hit with runners in scoring position. You go as far back as last October and that has always been the bugaboo for this team. Uh, they, they seemingly lead the, the majors in on-base percentage and runners on every year. There's no shortage of base runners with this team, but when they get on second or third, it seems, especially in big moments, it seems to be something where they can't drive them in. And especially during this time of the year, you've got to be able to just get those base hits to get those runners in. And the Rays have absolutely not been able to do that. 20 strikeouts in game three.
0: Compared to the eight for Boston. Like, that, that's been the, the. Boston is absolutely out hitting. I think they had leadoff hitters on for the first six or seven innings of the, of the, of the game yesterday. Boston did, and that pressure, especially in the postseason, is so, so valuable to put on a, on a pitching staff like the Rays. Jackson?
2: I've been playing, or I don't play anymore, because, you know, I'm not that athletic, but uh, since I was a young kid playing T-ball, coach pitch, coach pitch really, two out hits win championships, and it doesn't matter if you're playing coach pitch, if you're playing high school baseball, if you're playing in the major leagues, if you can't hit with two outs, especially with men in scoring position, you're not going to win. Unless everybody in your lineup is hitting a home run every game. Two
0: outs, two strikes. Boston's just been that much better of a team with two strikes. It feels almost inevitable. When the Rays hitters get to two strikes, it's going to end up in a strikeout most of the time. They were one of the top teams in Major League Baseball when it came to striking out. Uh, So that's going to be something to look forward to. Uh, And then one last thing with with Major League Baseball and and, and their divisional series. Obviously, White Sox-Astros, another ALDS series, uh, got postponed today. They'll play game four tomorrow. But tonight we get Dodgers-Giants game number three, William. Uh, Alex Wood taking the mound for, for uh, the Giants. Max Scherzer taking the mound for the Dodgers. Scherzer coming off a little rocky of a start in the wild Card game. He only went four and a third innings. So what are you looking at tonight? What are you looking at as an X-factor uh, to see who's going to win this game?
3: Uh, I could see if Max Scherzer really turns it on, uh, that game could really go in L.A.'s favor. And I really think this game could... Could decide the series because if the Giants win, they retake home field advantage. If the Dodgers win, they you know put the put the Giants on the brink of elimination with another game at Dodger Stadium. So, uh, really a must win for both teams here in Game Three.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, I think it's more of a must win for the Giants in that.
3: Yeah, I would agree. If
0: if if you win this game, you go up two one, and you get to fall back on the fact that if you lose Game Four, which it I mean it, it's completely possible they could. Uh, you get Logan Webb at home for a game five, who was absolutely phenomenal, seven and two thirds innings, shut out baseball against the Dodgers in game one. Uh, Jackson, do you, do you have an opinion on that yeah
2: so that 's what I love about the unpredictability of playoff baseball um, I, saw, I saw the stat last night the winner of game three in a game, in a uh, five game series in a five game series. Yes, the win's only about fifty four percent of the time, which is obviously which is what you expect, but I believe in basketball, the winner of a game five and a best-of-seven series wins around three-quarters of the time. And that's what's really cool about post postseason baseball to me. Yeah, there's home field advantage because obviously there's different uh, field dimensions and stuff, but the fact that you know there's always a different starting pitcher, there's so many different things that can go on in a baseball game. Um, that's what's beautiful about postseason
0: baseball. Yeah, it certainly isn't the home field advantage that you would see from from football or maybe basketball. Uh, road teams win a lot more than, than you'd think. Uh, in postseason baseball, there uh, gave I know that you're looking over. You're you're loving this. Uh, the the reactions from William and I uh, uh, watching the Rays right now. It's
1: just a t- a great ten minute refresher for me. I get to like you know think about my day, what's been going on, and I mean your your reactions are just really funny in general. I I, I don't know what you guys are gonna do if the Rays lose so.
0: I'm going to stop watching baseball forever. That's what I'm going to do,
1: Gabe, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. if
0: if they lose. And, and, you know, as we wrap up our, our Major League Baseball talk here on Tom Ogg Talk, uh, it's 0-0 as Rafael Devers throws a ball to first. We go to the bottom of the third. It's 0-0. I'm at the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> I cannot stand postseason baseball sometimes. Uh, but, alas, we have to get to the NFL. And what was a, a, a interesting week, not a whole lot of, of – Thrilling, close games, but there was one in particular that we'll get to in a second. But first, Sunday Night Football last night, as we, we always start off uh, our, our NFL recap with, uh, what a statement, what a statement in all caps uh, by the Buffalo Bills last night, just taking it to the Chiefs really from the start. I mean, Chiefs get off to a 3-0 lead, and then it was all Bills from there, including after uh, a lengthy rain delay. Uh, they come back out, and, and they uh, they emphatically win 38-20. to Against the reigning uh, AFC champions, who beat them at Arrowhead last year uh, in the AFC Conference Championship, uh, so Gabe, what's your, what's your main takeaway? Do you do you take away more from the Bills' perspective or the Chiefs' perspective from this this blowout victory by the Bills?
1: Well, it's hard to say. I mean, we know that Super Bowl runner-up teams don't come back the same usually. Obviously, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, we didn't expect that to be the case, but after the Ravens loss and after the next loss it was like okay I mean we're not going to hit the panic button but there's definitely smoke and now I think there's some fire here and and it's kind of sad to see because I mean Patrick Mahomes he's the golden boy of the NFL but there's only so much he can do and he's also not playing his best football he's thrown six picks this year which is all, all that he threw last year so he's definitely not playing as good as he's been the first two years of his career but, I mean, the Chiefs' defense is just absolute shambles. They are allowing over seven yards per play. That's the worst in NFL history. Yeah. And for them to lose at home against the Bills is a big statement for the Bills in itself because, obviously, they came in last year and they didn't really stand a chance uh, in the AFC Championship game. But for the Bills to, to come in with the number-one-ranked offense and the number-one-ranked defense now after that, that victory, it, it definitely puts them as the class of the AFC, even though I think the Chargers are also knocking on the door. The Chargers – they might have a shot to win the AFC West when it's all said and done. It's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, You could argue the Chargers might have the, the better quarterback. Exactly. Right,
0: that's what's playing right now. at least. I'm not going to take any you know, nothing away from Patrick Mahomes, but Herbert's playing at a better level than him right yeah, now. Uh, William, I want to go to you for, for the Bills side of this. Uh, they go to the place that their season ended last year, and they emphatically crush the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Josh Allen and the boys are, in your mind, uh, are they emphatically now the team to beat moving forward in the AFC Or they, uh, when you project them towards the postseason?
3: I would say they're up there the, with a, with the Chargers being a close second, but I think the Bills right now it would be a clear number one. Something for the Chiefs that I would say as well with how good the Chargers have looked, they need to get their act together in a hurry because if they're not able to win this division and they're having to go on the road in January with no games at Arrowhead, what is this Chiefs team? What right. is their chances to advance?
0: We, we haven't we haven't seen it so far under Patrick Mahomes. He's had home field for every single game of the postseason, I believe. They've been the number one seed uh, dating back to 2018, 2019, 2020. They've been the home team. They've never had to play outside of Arrowhead in the postseason. Uh, Jackson, what what in your opinion, uh, what would home field advantage do for the— I mean, obviously, it's huge in, in football like that, but— uh, when you compare maybe the 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 Bills to a Ravens or a, a Chargers, uh, where where do you see them fitting into that mix? Are they absolutely above the rest of the AFC, or are we gonna have to wait a couple of weeks to find out that?
2: You know, had the Chiefs lost in a close one, I definitely think I definitely think that the Chiefs definitely don't need to hit the panic button. But they lost by 18. It, it did not look pretty. It did not look pretty at all. And I, I definitely think that. The Chiefs, I think they shouldn't hit the panic button. I mean, I just said that they should. But I think they're very um, – they have a very good chance still to go 10-7, and 11-6. But
0: – that, That's it, not, not going to be enough for home field at the rate that the Chargers are going right that's now. That's what I'm
2: saying. I, I think we'll really see what that team is made of if they have to go on the road in the playoffs. And the Chiefs? Since 2018, they've just been so good. I I remember before the Super Bowl last year, they hadn't lost a regular season game in, in September. In, in September, and no, I'm just saying they hadn't. Oh yeah. Going into that, um, I think they lost maybe the first game of the year last year, and then they won however many straight. Or they they lost really early on, and then they won. But they're not prone to losing games, and now all of a sudden they're they're losing games left and right. We'll really get to see how the Chiefs are going
1: to respond. Gabe, I know you had something. What's really worrying me about the Chiefs is that they have over two years of offense now on tape, the rest of the NFL. So they're not really throwing them anything new. Everyone knows how good Pat Mahomes is. Everyone knows Tyreek's going to go deep. Everyone knows you probably should double-team Travis Kelsey. And the strengths and the weaknesses of the team are are pretty clear by by almost half point of the season. The offensive line has been a little bit better, but you lost left guard Joe Thune. Tony something like Tony so that's going to be a big important chess piece that that might not be available in the next couple of weeks and their 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 schedule does not seem to get any easier um I forgot who they're playing but I was looking at it before the 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 show and it it looks daunting and Clyde Edwards Clyde Edwards Hilaire also you know he might be out and the running game has not been there for them even with CEH Uh, as much as you would expect so it's really down to my homes and and the thing that i think the chiefs had over any other team was obviously a little bit more so the talent but now the the chargers are catching up the bills are definitely catching up and and now it comes down to the coaching and the experience and with with the bills i think they definitely have the experience going all the way to the afc championship game last year and definitely seems like sean mcdermott is is kind of making a statement as hey i might be coach of the year by when 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 the season's over
0: yeah, well, we shall see. I think you point
1: out something really,
0: really uh, good, Gabe, with, with the Super Bowl runners up. Not only were they the Super Bowl runners up last year. They got they, thrashed. They, they, they got thrashed, but they went to a Super Bowl before that. There's a lot of yeah. miles, especially on that defense, which they've tried to keep together a lot, especially the secondary. They've tried to keep it together. Uh, Sorensen gets burnt for a couple of touchdowns last night. It just move, seems like they're moving in slow motion right now. Uh, so we shall see about that. But another really really fun game yesterday. Uh, I mean, the second half, these two teams just exploded for points. Uh, Chargers Browns. Chargers get the win. But it was kind of disappointing seeing William the 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 refs come into the equation so much. There was a huge pass interference that went against Cleveland late. uh, That looked like Mike or Mike. Sorry, not Mike Evans. Mike (laughs) Williams just shoved uh, the corner, the Cleveland cornerback, to the ground. They call that pass interference on Cleveland. Uh, Just how disappointing is it for a game like that that was really really fun to come down to? You know the refs making a call or two like that.
3: Seems to be what the NFL does best, right? Yeah. In those big moments and those big games, there's always an official in the way to break it up, and especially in a game like this with so many points, uh, so many more deeper plays, more room for the officials to come into play.
0: Yeah, and Jackson looking for this Cleveland Browns team. Obviously, they drop another they drop another game here. They're three and two on the season uh, with Baltimore playing Monday night here. Uh, but it seems like you know as, as many points as they scored. Uh, this is a big week coming up for them. You get a, a Oklahoma showdown between Baker and Kyler Murray uh, next week. The undefeated, still undefeated Cardinals uh, beat San Francisco. But uh, is this a make-or-break week for the Browns? They could drop to 500, uh, if they don't get something together here at home next week against Kyler and uh, the Cardinals.
2: I don't think so. Uh, I think Pittsburgh obviously has not looked good at all. Um, and they, they'll they play Baltimore again, I believe, right? They're going to play them two times. They haven't yeah. played it all this year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So... It's still early on in the season. I think, you know, teams, we still have to remember, teams have to grow over the season. And sometimes it's all about playing hot at the right time, and that's at the end of the season. So for the Browns, I see them. I still see them winning the division. Um, But definitely if they lose to the Baltimore Ravens, they should probably reevaluate and see what they're doing wrong and definitely move on
0: from there. Yeah, and, and Gabe, I actually want to move to something right before we wrap up the show oh, here at yeah. 8 o'clock. Uh, Fury Wilder, yeah. Volume 3, absolutely insane Saturday night. I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Just l- let me get your initial re- reaction after a huge, I think it was the best fight of the entire series so far.
1: Oh, I mean, <coughs> I'm not a UFC guy by any means, but <laughs> what I saw Saturday night was just absolutely... That's just straight-up boxing. That was that awesome. Was, that was yeah. a classic. I mean, uh, uh, both, both guys were going toe-to-toe, and, and for a moment it seemed like... Uh, Wild or no uh, Fury, Fury. I don't even know these guys' names correctly, but <laughs> but Fury. I think he 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 knocked. Uh, he, he yeah Fury yeah.
0: ends up knocking Deontay Wilder out a couple of times. Yeah, uh, they both fall to the floor at one point or another. Uh, Tyson Fury ends up getting the victory there. Yeah. Fury went down knockout. twice in one round. Yep, exactly. So was, and he gets back up. He's just a huge mountain of a man there. But he gets the win over Wilder. He's got a two to one advantage. Do you think they they match up again?
1: Oh man i didn't even think about that i thought i thought the trilogy was said and done but it could be make it a best of five make it a a best (laughs) of seven why not
0: uh but i think that is going to do it for tomahawk talk i just want to get your thoughts on that real quick gabe Uh, i know it was exciting fight for me at least uh but that has been this edition of tomahawk talk uh i'm your host luke hazen uh thanks for joining me gabe william jackson sebastian scott in the booth uh Tampa Bay Rays on my phone right here. Thank you for for coming along the ride there, giving me a heart attack every waking moment of my life. Uh, But that is about it. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.